What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. What's up, podcast listeners? On this episode of the podcast, I brought a bloody Brit and a real estate mogul onto one podcast late at night to chalk it up. What could possibly go wrong? Two amazing people who I love and respect, Ryan Millsap, the CEO and chairman of Black Hall Studios, which is a movie studio in Atlanta, Georgia, and Aaron Stewart, co-founder and visionary office, chief visionary officer of job.com an amazing blockchain-based recruitment tool that is just going gangbusters. Two awesome, awesome companies and backgrounds, but more importantly, two amazing individuals who aren't afraid to dive into the State of the Union, everything going on with COVID-19, talk about their industries, and we just dive into some very interesting out-there topics. Had an absolute blast with two guys I respect and are near and dear to my heart and we just we just chalk it up and talk a lot of smack in this episode so tune in enjoy it love it i sure did hope you both did as well too thanks a ton all right everybody hey this is about to be an absolute blast of a podcast i'm with two of my favorite people on the planet most of the entertaining people i've ever experienced aaron stewart and ryan Millsap. so we're about to have some fun i'm just gonna let these two whirl with it because they're way smarter way more brilliant quite frankly way more entertaining than i could ever imagine plus way better looking as aaron alluded to so uh we're about to let this fly. So Aaron, Ryan, would you guys both be willing to drop a little bit of your story leading up to what we're going to talk about today? Sure, sure. Aaron, why don't you go first? No, Ryan, you, you go first. You go first. <laughs> oh, gosh, now <laughs> we're going to be gentlemen. We're recording. <laughs> Listen, I'm British. I'm British. It's part of, that's why I have to do it. Okay, it's part of our culture. All right, all right. Please, uh, you first. All right, well, I will, I'll dive in. So, Maddie, you, you know this story. Um, yeah, I run a big movie studio in Atlanta called Black Hall Studios. We're largely dark right now, place is a ghost town. Um, my background's all commercial real estate. I built the uh, movie studio four years ago. We started actually five years ago, opened, well, that's not true, Two, opened, we started four years ago, opened three years ago. And so th for three years, we've been running that, but we, you know, I originally built it as a commercial real estate play. So it was just a, a way to build a facility that was built for the entertainment industry to be able to make movies and television. But no different than if I built an office building for lawyers to apply their craft, or a, I built a, um, a hospital for doctors to apply their craft. In this case, I built a movie studio for movie executives to apply their craft. And so that's, you know, that's a little bit of background on me that we can keep going, but I think that's probably enough for now. So yeah. I should have gone first because 
I'm in recruitment. <laughs> I don't have a movie studio. I didn't build a movie studio. I didn't film Jumanji in my movie studio. And so my life has been in the recruitment industry, recruitment technology, um, you know, started before the last recession. So I'm a lot cooler on this one because I've already lived through one before. Um, been fairly uh, fortunate to have some decent success and exits within the industry. Uh, worked with some very high profile people in the UK, which in America no one would have heard of, but were on the TV show uh, Dragon's Den uh, with Shark Tank. He's called James Carn. It's a guy that I used to work with, ex business partner and investor in my old company. Fast track a few years, uh, came here to the United States uh, with a bunch of investment from an institution called Falcon Capital. Uh, bought out job.com uh, in September 2017 uh, with the parent company that I own and still operates in the UK called My Job Matcher. But as you can imagine, as soon as we owned job.com, we rebranded because it's a slightly better name. Um, and uh, we have been uh, building and developing and taking to market, you know, some clever technology, AI and blockchain to automate uh, the recruitment process. Obviously, um, doing talent attraction during a time like COVID-19 and in this recession is going to have an impact, of course. Uh, and we've sort of seen over the last few weeks how quickly we can diversify just the markets that we're going into. Um, you know, so, uh, but other than that, um, I love my job. Uh, I do love, you know, I have a deep passion for helping people feed their families and pay their bills. I'm blessed with a beautiful wife and I have five children which I'm desperately looking at evilly at every moment to keep quiet. So, uh, <laughs> that's why I put some, that's why I put some, well, they age in between everything. Yeah. yeah how, how, old are, how old are your kids? Uh, I can't remember. No, I've, <laughs> I've got a 10 year old. I've got a four year old, a three year old, a one year old and a four week old. Wow. So my, my wife and I had four children in five years. So as you can imagine, she hates me. Um, she right. doesn't hate that's, you much. That's why he travels yeah. so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I travel she, so much, it happens. Yeah, you come home. She may hate you, but she, but there's something about you it's that she really likes. Relationship. <laughs> 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 I hate you, but I love like, you. don't you come near me? Yes, come near me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Damn it, another kid. Uh, <laughs> thank God, we're so fertile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, uh, we we did actually have a conversation the other day. It was like, we're gonna have more and I sort of blow hot and cold in it one minute I'm like yeah because I've got you know I've got one boy and I've got four girls so I'm very blessed but there is a part of me it's like oh, maybe we should sort of you know weigh up the boys a little bit more but at the same time you know we, my wife and I kind of look at each other broken and like can we really take more yeah <laughs> it's like I don't know but maybe we'll see what happens I guess I gotta ask at what number did you ask that question was it one two three four three it was the okay. third and then it just started to go it just started to go now you know we won't do it again and then lo and behold you know here they are and so um and uh, but it is a blessing and to be fair as much as it's uh, it can be a noisy uh his, you know house I, I enjoy the chaos I, I love the chaos with the kids around and stuff like that it's uh, it's great fun and now as they're starting to get a bit older and stuff you know they're they're a lot more not that they're not interested when they're babies, but you can, you know, they've got their own personalities and stuff like that. They're great stuff. So, um, yeah. is job is job.com in Austin? Is that why you ended up in Austin? No. So it's funny enough. It's not. So I bought two other companies uh, that were based here. So active hire and Zillion resume. So they were the first acquisitions we did in the U S uh, at the beginning of 17. So I moved here. Um, uh, job.com was originally based in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, but, uh, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't want to move to Fredericksburg, Virginia, you know, no offense to, to, to anyone in Fredericksburg, Virginia, just Austin seemed like a cooler place to be. And, uh, and then subsequently I've been here now, obviously, you know, it'll be coming up for three years in a couple of months and we're very, very settled and happy here. And uh, unfortunately, you know, Donald Trump will allow us to stay. So, um, yeah. which, is <laughs> <laughs> which is good. Which is good. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Well, Hey, the, the so, Oh, go ahead, Aaron, I, I've got a question for Aaron. Aaron, tell me about what's going on with your friends in the UK, what they're talking about with COVID, what the, what the government over there is doing to try to address this, how, and how you're comparing like what you're seeing in the UK with what you're seeing here. And then, you know, I'll give you some color on that too, because, you know, we're building a big black hole in the UK. And so I've got a team over there. And so I've been getting lots of information too, but I'd love your take on what you see. Yeah, so, so uh, on a personal friends level, I get a mixed bag of responses. I get everything from, oh, it's, it's utter BS and everyone's overreacting. 
right through to the world's going to end and this is it. Um, there isn't a, a common consensus uh, between how everybody feels there. There is an element or a more common element that everyone's like, oh, we'll just catch uh, coronavirus and we'll gain immunity and everything will be fine. Obviously, that doesn't necessarily play well for any of the elderly, the, 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 the sick or, or people that might be more vulnerable. Um, but that's, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the attitude, you know, my dog. So, um, he's a rescue dog. He's a good dog. Be quiet. So, um, but, uh, but you know, the, the UK is now starting to react. Shush, Bernie. The UK is now starting to, excuse me. The UK is now starting to obviously react. Obviously it's gone into lockdown. It's gone into lockdown. <laughs> it's be tall, wouldn't it? My dog doesn't normally bark that much. And obviously because we're on a podcast, of course he will. But he's on a, they're on lockdown. And, uh, and I think, to be fair, the lockdown that's there at the moment will increase because uh, my business partner lives in Monaco, um, the guy who I own job.com with. And uh, he's just been given an announcement that France is considering extending um, the, their lockdown for a further six weeks. And typically, because it's obviously, you know, even though UK isn't in Europe anymore, but it, it kind of is in a sense with its relationships, I'd imagine that it will extend its lockdown uh, for a further period of time. So, um, but yeah. I think, I think they kind of left it a bit late to react because they had the perfect opportunity of being an island and just closing off all borders and potentially avoiding a lot more of maybe the, the, the distress that they're going through. But nonetheless, there we are. So, What about economically? You think they're addressing it well? Uh, yes and uh, no. So, you know, there's, so there's, a, there's, a, well, there's a couple of elements here. Uh, the United Kingdom is far more, you know, and I'll say this with, uh, with a tongue-in-cheek, far more socialist. Uh, than, you'd, than you'd experience here in the United States, in a sense of there are a lot more people on uh, a level of like welfare, and, uh, or we call it benefits, um, who I don't actually think are necessarily impacted with their day-to-day -day lives. Um, you know, there was just this during my, you know, I'm 35 years old, and uh, in my sort of generation, millennial, there was this wave of young people having kids and then living off the government, and uh, and that's just a fact. Um, and uh, so that their lives aren't necessarily going to be impacted too much. But I do think that they are overlooking uh, the impact on the self-employed small business owner. Um, I think that the, you know, they've just announced uh, this evening um, the, the benefits that are going to provide for self-employed uh, individuals and workers and I guess small businesses, sole traders. And it consists of providing them 80% of their profit that they provided on their previous tax returns. Um, and that's just not going to be enough, you know, like that's, that's just not, it's just not going to be enough. And, and, and the reason why it's not going to be enough is because if anyone knows anything about any sole traders or small business owners in the UK, they never declare everything that they have. You know, they, they declare hardly anything ever. You know, it's just a typical cultural thing that, um, that they don't, which means that's going to have a significant impact. So you've got the combination of, oh, we've just fallen out of Brexit and the uncertainty that provides. And now we're being kicked into the ground because, you know, now COVID-19 and obviously a deep recession is also on the way uh, to the globe, let alone the, the UK. So I think, I think it's going to be uh, a challenge uh, for the country. But one thing I will say, being British, um, uh, you know, we're, awful, we're awfully resilient. And, uh, and I, I feel that if there's any uh, culture out there and, uh, and, you know, country, a nation that can, you know, fight their way out of a, a scenario and a problem, I believe the British can. So, yes. Love that. Ryan, from your perspective, what are you seeing in, uh, with Black Hall stuff and on your side of things? Well, I mean, obviously the entertainment industry is being hit very, very hard. Um, it's, it's not a permanent hit. It's definitely a COVID-19 moment in time hit in the sense that there's a lot of people that are now home watching Netflix and Disney Plus and Netflix subscribers have gone up dramatically in the last week. Um, Disney Plus subscribers have gone up dramatically. Showtime, HBO, everybody's getting a huge benefit from subscription services for people being home trying to figure out what things to do. It's had a, it's had a, a big impact on the internet. So, you know, my friends who are running data centers are like just getting trounced right now because the mean? data centers can't take the volume. And so, you know, there's going to be an explosion of growth in data centers. There's going to be an explosion of growth in content because all this content's being consumed and nothing's being replaced in the pipe. And so we're going to have a, a big gap in uh, replacement uh, 
uh, entertainment pieces, which means on the other side of people actually being able to get together, there's going to be a, a huge push to fill that supply chain. Yeah, now, I was gonna. Do you do you see like a massive like catch up of like, hey, now that things yes. are back to normal, we got to speed up and kick content out just to catch up with all the overconsumption. People absolutely will be bored of the backlog of the old catalog, won't they? They want new stuff. Of course, you know, of yeah. course, and and the way that they get new subscribers is to just find one. They're just looking for one show for you that you say. God, I got to watch X. And in order to watch X, I have to have a Netflix account or, oh, that show on HBO. I just love it. I got to have HBO. And that, that show, whatever that one thing is different for Aaron, it's different for Matt, it's different for Ryan. Now, we might all find the same show that we love, but that's not the point. The point is they're just trying to create enough content that they find one hook that keeps you coming back for HBO. Because if you have one show you're watching, you'll pay the 10 bucks a month because you'd pay 10 bucks just to watch that show. Definitely. Right. Right. And so the same is true at Netflix, all these guys. So from an entertainment standpoint, that's kind of what's going on. The other thing is there's a lot of shows and uh, movies and television that were being made in Europe and in Eastern Europe. A lot of that stuff's coming back to the United States because they just they don't ever want to experience this again. They don't want to be in the middle of Eastern Europe and have an outbreak and not be able to get out of there and not have good health care and not have um, all their normal American life. And so they just say, screw it. Like next time we're just going to do it in the U.S. Now, the U.K. is a little bit of an extension, right? Because culturally, even though there's such a gap, Americans can travel to the U.K. and feel pretty good until there's a health crisis. And then they freak out. They're like, wait, what? I can't get in to see a doctor? You know, whatever. So, <laughs> Aaron. So, Ryan, do you have any, I don't suppose you have any examples of these Eastern European movies that you're on about, do you? Because uh, I'd be rather intrigued to know what their titles are. <laughs> well, like, so, you know, I, I don't I, know the titles. I've, I've heard some back catalogue of some Eastern European movies, but uh, I'm yeah. not sure if we're allowed to say the names. <laughs> of them. So, uh, <laughs> this is bigger budget stuff. I mean, you know, it's we mostly... Like the, we like the low budget you, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What you're talking about right now is also bogging down the internet. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely, that's definitely booming right now. Oh God! I mean, the poor data centers—they're like, they're like, and listen, switch we're... it to explicit, switch it to explicit. <laughs> really I would love to know actually the percentage of adult content streaming on the internet right now. Oh, it will. Be I mean, if it, if there's if it's if if my friends' memes that they're texting me are any indication, it's a very high percentage. The amount of filth that I have been sent in group yes. Oh my God. In the last <laughs> unbelievable. It's beyond the joke. And many of them circulated around joking around the kind of coronavirus quarantine and stuff. What can you do when you quarantine? As some of the videos, I mean, are hilarious, but they are extremely explicit. Yes. So, but I mean, some <laughs> of the things that these the guys. Greatest... Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> I was going to say, some of the things these guys are claiming are a cure for coronavirus. <laughs> You know, I'm willing explicit. to try them. I'm willing to try. <laughs> you know, I'm willing to be a test subject for science in order to see. Uh -huh. Always happy to be a free guinea pig. No problem at all. <laughs> Send me a subscription. Happy to do what we got to do. My body is all yours. <laughs> oh, God. I uh, love it. Anyway, so, so the entertainment industry that's not the adult film industry is going to come back huge. Well, it's, the stuff in Eastern Europe oftentimes would be like low-budget horror or... Um, low budget and like they'd take Jean-Claude Van Damme to oh, yeah. uh, Hungary and do some you know movie that they're not even going to release in the United States they're only going to release in all the rest of the world and Jean-Claude Van Damme is still a big draw and they know that they can make a five million dollar movie and they can sell the rights to a Jean-Claude movie for eight million dollars around the world and so without ever having any success all they have to do is produce a piece of content and it will make money and, and so there's a whole world of that kind of stuff. Now, we don't do that kind of stuff. Black Hall is like big budget, 50 million, 100 million, 200 million dollar kind of movies. And the stuff we do in the US and the stuff we do in the UK is going to be, you know, really focused on that crowd, the Disney crowd, the Warner Brothers crowd, the Paramount, the HBO, or the, HBO the Universal, et cetera. Now, what I will tell you on the, on the economic side, the US, in my opinion, is kind of shitting bed on the... Uh, on the economic side at the federal government level. And I'll tell you why. You know, this is not an economic recession that was born from bad decision-making in the finance world or bad decision-making in the business world or moral corruption or uh, uh, deception or anything that would normally be punished 
by the capital markets. This was a this is this is a problem that was created by a virus, and that virus is really a social issue. So, from a social standpoint, we should say to ourselves, "Listen, the world before this coronavirus was X, whatever X is, and we are now going to try to freeze X in time, and we're going to all take a moment and just fight this virus." And then when we come back from whatever amount of time it takes to fight this virus, we want to be able to press the play button, right? So we want to pause it in place, and then we'll be able to press the play button and have nothing really affected economically. Now, that's not happening right now. And the reason is, is that they are, haven't approached it the right way, because if they approach it the right way, they would say, no business is allowed to fail right now. It might have been on its way to failure, but we're going to hold it in a frozen mission on its way to failure. And in 90 days, it can pick its trajectory of failure. But right now, we're not going to let it fail. And what that costs is that costs about a trillion dollars a month to put the U.S. economy on hold. Now, if you put the economy on hold, you're going to have to revenue replace, top-line revenue replace, every company in the United States. Now, those companies are then going to have to all agree to have no firing, so a firing freeze. They're going to have to agree to have no salary changes, so salary, you know, salary freeze. Now, people are going to be a little upset because they'll say, well, wait a minute. If you're revenue replacing at that company, the guys who own that company are still making a lot of money. They'll say, yeah, because you know what happens if the guys who are running that company aren't making a lot of money? They fire everyone. And that's what's happening right now is the guys who own the businesses and are running the businesses are having powwows saying our revenue just fell off a cliff. What are we going to do? This isn't sustainable. And the CFO goes, well, we got to fire everyone. And everybody looks around the table and goes, well, I guess we don't have any other revenue options. So, yeah, we got to fire everyone. And that domino effect is going to have lasting and severe consequences if the government doesn't wake up, which it doesn't seem like they're going to because the stimulus package that they just passed, I don't know if it's actually finally passed, but it looks like it's going to pass the $2 trillion version, which sounds like a lot of money until I just told you it costs a trillion dollars a month to put the, put the economy on hold. So that $2 trillion version is now trying to pick and choose and say, well, these are the essential industries that we can't let fail. And the problem with that is that makes a judgment about the impact of this virus that says, okay, it's gonna impact all these businesses, but we don't care. That's just part of the cost. And I say, no, that's not how you freeze time. That's just not how you do it. So I think there's gonna be massive economic consequences of this, massive fallout. I think they're not signaling to the businesses anything that has enough clarity to be able to plan around. And, uh, and just in general, I think they're falling on their face. So Ryan, could could we talk about porn again? <laughs> Speaking of falling on your face, and uh, let's put it this way: all that was above my head, but I understood what we were talking about beforehand. <laughs> you know what that makes me think of? I'm going to tell you a funny story. Okay, so when I was in college. When I was in college, one summer I lived with my dad in Boston. My dad was running a company. He was a, you know, like the CEO of a company called uh, SD Warren Paper Manufacturers. They were owned by a South African company called Sappy. And my dad and I lived in the Harbor Towers in Boston overlooking the harbor. And my dad walked to work like five minutes. And, and I went to live with him for the summer. And I didn't have a job. I really just hung out. And so he would walk to work in the morning. I would stay and read and study. And I got into memorizing poetry right? And so then my dad would come home and he'd want to have a glass of wine and maybe smoke a cigar. He'd say, what did you do today? And I'd tell him a story and I'd sometimes tell him the poems that I was memorizing, which he thought was totally insane, right? Because he had no, that was not his thing. But so this one time I told him this poem and it was a Gerard Manley Hopkins poem, right? Very famous, old, um, wonderful, religious poet. And he's, and I'll tell you like the first four lines and I'll get you, I'll get to this place and then we'll have a laugh because he says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. It shall flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? My dad starts <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Just like Maddie right there. He goes, <laughs> turn off my wreck video. Turn, turn off my video. <laughs> <laughs> I've 
telling him this amazing poem, and all he hears is, ha, 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 wreck is Ron. The young, <laughs> the young like, academic Ryan is trying to be mature, trying to- I like your dad, Ryan. I like your dad. Okay. Yeah. The, even, the even better part is like three months later, I told my brother this poem. I got to the same line, and he goes, ha, 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 wreck is Ron. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, everybody understands porn. That's a universal language. Definitely. Not everybody understands macroeconomics. And right now, we've got a major, major macroeconomics problem. Sure. That's, that's so going to have a tremendously terrible impact on our economy. So, Aaron, so, I think you offer a really cool perspective because the, mat, like the, the huge volume of companies that you guys cover within the context of what Job.com is doing. So I'd love yeah. to hear your perspective on all this. Well, so, so a couple of things. So, so one, uh, which was the other evening, I did a, a conference call with uh, BTIG, who are you know, a large uh, investment bank, banking group in, uh, in New York. And it was a, a collective of sort of, you know, managing partners of probably roughly, you know, not huge, but maybe 20 to $30 billion under management. And uh, they were explaining that, you know, analysts and, uh, and the various, you know, intellects that they've been talking to, that they believe that this, uh, this sort of downturn, this macroeconomic impact, uh, is here for the next 24 months. Uh, it's going to take at least 24 months uh, for uh, you know the, the economy to kind of start seeing any sort of uh, prosperity towards coming back, and uh, and that businesses that are you know functioning in this time that are maybe funded companies or that are looking for funding or that operating at a loss but are growing need to have at least 24 months runway in cash in the business in order to um, in order to survive just to be uh, sort of prudent. And uh, however, they explained that you know, throughout private equity in the United States, as in dry powder, there is still $1.5 trillion in cash that will be deployed during the time when it comes that deals will be, you know, a better deal. And also the M&A activity is actually an attractive prospect during this time because, you know, for example, you know, job.com is right in the middle of M&A activity. We're, we're, we're acquiring staffing agencies. We're doing a, I, I call it a roll up, but I've been told now in America, it's better to call it a build up. Um, so we're doing a build up, we call it a roll up in the UK, but we're doing a build up of buying staffing agencies. And because of the fear and uncertainty with them, it does affect the multiples when it comes to acquiring those businesses when you take them with multiples of EBIT, which actually potentially offers upside for private equity money. Um, on the job side of things, as we sort of saw it announced today, I think was it 1982, the highest level of uh, employment benefits in the United States was 695,000 people. It's now 3.3 million literally in the last week it's sort of been an unprecedented four or five times higher than it's ever been in history and it's going to grow because this is just the first week of seeing this um you know for us uh you know over 80 percent of the clients and the jobs that we were dealing with only six weeks ago have disappeared uh they've gone uh, however um conversely to that and typically what i did in the last recession uh, being in this industry is you go hunting for gold. So you go and find where the gold is. And for example, uh, you know, logistics, uh, there's technology, healthcare, and funnily enough, uh, we're just about to secure a deal where we will be providing 4,800 cleaners uh, on contract to the 12 hydroelectric bands that consist in the northwest uh, of the United States in around Washington State and stuff. So, you know, where, I think for business, some business owners who can still trade and function, this is an opportunity for you to be dynamic. And if you're currently a local restaurant, get your business on Grubhub, DoorDash, Postmates, and start perfecting your takeaway and delivery you know, uh, logistics. Whereas if you're another business that can't possibly trade, Ryan, I completely concur with you. I think that there needs to be some reflection on pressing a pause button, and allowing this business to remain frozen in time. But when that happens, then you have to look at all the associated costs around that. So, you know, does the business have a premises? You know, should their rent be paused? Um, or, their, you know, the lease on the property? Uh, should they have to stop paying any sort of infrastructure bills like AWS or anything like that? Should, you know, all of their obligations financially, as, or, or do you continue to pump the revenue into them in order to cover their obligations? But again, as you said, a trillion dollars a month just for the economy just to kind of stand still. When does that end? And how do you model that in order to continue during a period of time until businesses can start trading in a fair game again? And what I mean by that is 
this impact of COVID-19 will be for the next three, six, whatever, however many months, but then the repercussions after that will continue on forevermore. At what point does the government step back and allow free markets to be free? And, um, but I do agree with you, Ryan. I think that, you know, this is such an unprecedented situation that's happened right now that, you know, it's, it's difficult not to make knee-jerk reactions because it requires quick reactions. But at the same time, I think there's a, a, a great deal of logic in what you've just said there. And I think it's something to consider for sure. Well, and, and one of the things that you noted is when you said, uh, when will we let free markets be free? And so, you know, the, the, the famous British economist, John Maynard Keynes, years ago was facing a very similar problem. And somebody said to him, said, well, M Professor Keynes, is that really the best solution for the long run? And he said, well, I'm not sure about the long run. The short run is our problem. But what I do know is in the long run, we're dead. <laughs> so, the, right? so the difficulty is, yes, we need to keep an eye toward the long run. We also need to keep in, uh, keep in mind in the fact that we've just got to figure out how to survive. Yeah, we've got to figure yeah. out how to survive the short run in order to have a long run, in order to be able to live into the long run. And, and so I, I hear that concern. And so then what I say is when you want to pause the economy, then that's a social decision. Now, it's not necessarily a socialist decision. It can be a social decision made in the, in the context of free market capitalism. But you're making that decision for a certain amount of time. And so you say, for three months, we're going to carry the world. And then you know what? When we press play, we go back to a free market world. Sure. But that's the beauty of being able to step in and say, we're going to pay. So we're going to pay to put a bubble around this moment in time, to put a bubble around the COVID-19 virus. We're going to put a bubble around the economic impact. And then eventually, we're going to pop that bubble and go back to, world, to, to a regular world. But we're going to pay for that socially, right? We're going to issue enough debt. And so everybody can have the clarity of mind to know that if it's COVID-19 for three months or it's whatever the next pandemic is in five years that everybody needs to go home, everybody now knows the rules. And the rules are when the government says go home, you go do that and your life will be put on pause. It won't be destroyed. And that cost is going to be borne by society in the form of national debt. And that's okay. Our national debt today is about $22 trillion. So for we'll us to pay it back anyway, like, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, well, from a startup well, founder, I feel like we're in a good spot compared to that. Yeah. We're good to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. 22 trillion to stack another two or 3 trillion is not going to kill us. No, of course not. Right. And no. so I, I, I agree with you that we do need to have, we want to have as much free market economy as possible. That's the best way for businesses to thrive. But the way for economies overall to be able to weather outside um, exoteric shocks is through Keynesian intervention as a crisis. And that's exactly what we have right now. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I, 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 do, I, do, uh, I do agree. But, um, but, but realistically, you know, the, government, the government's doing something, but it's not doing clearly enough. And um, and, and, and I, do, I do personally fear for, you know, I fear for many of the, the, the men and women that are obviously going to be deeply impacted by what's going on now and then the long tail of what that will result in. Uh, I, I, I don't like to be a, a sort of doom and gloom person. I'm actually rather on the positive side always. But I, I, I must admit that I am definitely not sure on really just how, uh, you know, far the rabbit hole will go. Uh, yeah, can say. I? I want to explore that for both of you guys as well, too. So one of the reasons why I wanted to pin you both together in a conversation is basically the leadership acts, you know, the leadership component to this as well, too. So certainly uh, cheap and free consulting, as you guys know. So I, I get some advice from the two of you, right? So uh, of course, I got to take advantage of the circumstance. But I guess truly, you both are running some massive scale organizations. You both independently are doing some very, like, you are visualizing the world and creating your own amazing companies and imagination and all these different things, which is, I think is unbelievable, but how, and the practical side of things, how do you guys lead organizations in the midst of all of this? Because I think that's what also equally is, you know, obviously all of us, you know, payroll employees, whatever it might be, there's stress there, right? No matter what there is, you know, we're going to be up at two in the morning, no matter what time of year it is. But I guess, how do you go both go about leading through this? Go on, Ryan. Now we're not both jumping to that one. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll jump in. It's a, it's, it's, these are hard conversations. And I'll tell you, 
yeah, it's it, these are amazing moments in time because when when shit hits the fan like this, like in, in like like when shit hits the fan in sports, you find out the truth about people. And it's really impossible to to create scenarios like this um, ad hoc. You can only just be responsive to the opportunity that is born out of crisis. And one of the opportunities is to find out, you know, the kind of metal of your people. And so, like, I have people who work for me who have called me and said, listen, I know this is going to be a really tough time. Whatever I can do for the company, if I need to take a pay cut, if I need to, um, you know, work more, if I need to work for my, you tell me what needs to happen, and I'm in. That's amazing when you get those kind of phone calls. Absolutely. Right? Definitely. Now, on the other side, I get phone calls that go, hey, is, I'm not going to be affected by this, am I? Yeah. yeah. Reassurance. Right? So yeah. When, people, the, unfre when that. the unfreeze happens, uh, the first person you're paying double, whatever. <laughs> that, that, no, that's, ex that's the point is that, is that it's an opportunity. There, there is a, a, a major problem in all of our revenue streams. And the more people can embrace that as a collective problem, the more goodwill they'll build with the business owners. Mm -hmm. The more they treat it like it's a the business owner has a problem and they need to fix it for them. And the less goodwill they're going to build with the business owners. Now, a lot of people don't care about building goodwill with the business owners. And those people are card, called mercenaries. And mercenaries don't actually own part of the, the, the spoils at the end. They get paid and they go away. The spoils are owned by those who run with the king, right? So I'll give you a great example. A buddy of mine, fantastic guy, his family in England sailed over. They, they, were, they were Norman Vikings in France. And in 1066, they sailed across the English Channel with William the Bastard. And they backed William the Bastard. And William the Bastard went to war with King Harold. And they won, and William the Bastard became William the Conqueror, and all the guys that sailed with William the Conqueror became the Lords of England. And a thousand years later, those are still the guys who are the Lords of England. Now, that's called getting the spoils of war by taking risk. And if you're not one of the risk takers, then you're going to be treated like a mercenary, and mercenaries get paid and sent home. And so from a leadership's perspective, number one, it's an amazing time to assess the truth of the character of the people on your team. That's number one. Number two, now you have to have a huge amount of compassion, whether it's dealing with the person who is incredibly a team player or dealing with the person who's truly just a mercenary, you still have to have compassion because everybody's functioning out of a very scary time, right? So there's a lot of fear in the world. And in fear, we sometimes react poorly. So we have to have compassion and, 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 and see that through. And then you have to have, start to have really hard conversations. And those really hard conversations in a time like this go something along the lines of, listen, this is going to be a very difficult time for our company. We're going to have uh, severe revenue hampering. We're going to need to curb expenses in every way possible for the next three or four months, whatever it is. And we need to take a, a, an inventory of everybody's life and find out what exactly each person needs to survive. And the person who is the accountant's assistant, who's a single mother, maybe can't take a single dollar of pay cut, really, to like pay for her life. Whereas the guy who's the CFO might be able to take a cut and pay by half and be fine. He might have a huge nest egg and he'd be able to have a lifestyle that's way below the cost of his, of his living. And some people would say, that's not fair. Why is the guy who has money and the guy who's getting paid a lot getting punished? Well, he's not getting punished. This is a time for socialism, right? This is a time for social um, responsiveness. This is a time for not capital market driven decisions. This is a time for not free market decision decisions. This is a time for human beings to come together and collectively pool their resources and take care of each other in a very hard time. And then on the back end, we go back to a world where the guy who's the CFO makes all that money, but if he doesn't need it for three months and the girl who needs it, who's sitting at a, um, an accounting desk and, and taking care of her, of her herself needs it, that's what we have to do. But that requires a very open conversation that's very, very human. And that's hard for people to have. It's not mathematics. Yes. I'm, I, mean, I mean, there's all of your points are, are, are exactly right. 
And um, <clears throat> I think that, uh, to be fair, there's, there's a lot that you said there. I think the only thing that I would um, not add is just that the, the approach that uh, we've had that I, that I have and I guess our leadership t team has, and it's something that we've said internally, and it's a bit cliche, but it's, it's just have a, a warrior mentality uh, for, for the rest of the company. You know, we, we, uh, we lead the business uh, in a way that people just feel inspired by you know, our confidence um, and I guess, you know, not arrogance and not, not that we're just ignoring what's going on out there. It's just that we kind of reassure the, 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 the company behind us that one, we're all in it together. We're very much a, you know, a team and a family, but also we've lived through this stuff before. I mean, obviously I'm one of the youngest, uh, you know, of the, of the, you know, the, the C-suite team and obviously one of the owners, but my, my other, my business partner and the other members of the C-suite team, uh, you know, went through 9-11, <laughs> you know, when that just completely dropped everything off the face of the planet, you know, obviously the last recession and, and other recessions and, and, and challenges that have been before. Um, I, I just think that, uh, you know, you have to, I always like to lead from the, uh, from the, uh, lead from the front. So, you know, you set the example and everybody feels inspired behind you, but that doesn't mean that there aren't difficult conversations. And we've had to have some of those difficult conversations uh, in, in job.com over the last few weeks, there were uh, a few members of, uh, of the team, uh, you know, both stateside and in the UK uh, that we had to, you know, furlough or we had to, you know, reduce their, their, their hours, you know, not make them redundant, but, but just reduce their hours to say, look, you know, things are going to be a bit challenging right now. And, uh, you know, we, we want you to, to, to stay with us, but, you know, this is, the, this is the most that we can do right now. And we have to think about the longevity of the business because uh, we don't know how long this may go on for we could have taken a gamble and said you know what, we'll leave everything running and remaining operationally the same and burnt through uh the cash reserves that we had to the point that it's too late where we've chose to react early in order to keep as much dry powder as possible if we have to go through a 24 month cycle of, uh, of challenges and so that's you know that's what we've done yeah Thank you both for, for answering that. And that's, it shows a lot about both your leadership mentality that not only are you uh, not afraid to hop on a podcast and dive into this stuff, but also sort of acknowledge that. And the, the difficult part, I think for the three of us is this is all on the fly. This is like, Ryan, yeah. as you, as you, as you alluded to, like, none of us read about what to do in the middle of COVID-19. None of us are, uh, none of us are studying a manual. None of us are doing that. And so just to, to no MBA in this, <laughs> nah, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so just to yeah. hear the fact that you guys are, you know, I, it's cool because we're all at very different worlds, but at the same time, leading different organizations and, and talking about these things and diving these things, this is challenging. This is hard stuff, but this is like what we signed up for. This is like the dreams that we all want to accomplish. Like this is exactly it. It says Matt Baxter has got a video interviewing platform, which is in <laughs> hyper demand during this time. He sits there, <laughs> sits there stroking his evil villain cat, hey, looking at all of us with his pink flamingo shirt on, going, oh yeah, it's really difficult. <laughs> really difficult as we've had like a thousand percent uplift on our customer base. Ryan, like, Aaron, don't you guys have a question to ask or something? Like, come on, a uh, quick transition or something. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. And, uh, you know, now, now is. I, I, Ryan, I actually uh, thoroughly enjoy hearing uh, your perspective on social and this kind of, you know, this social perspective and responsibility. And, and forgive me for being um, maybe slightly tiring everyone with the same brush, but I wouldn't, ex and this is me coming at it from an English person, so please forgive me, but I wouldn't expect to hear that from an American. I just wouldn't. However, I completely agree with you. I think this is a time for social consciousness. I think this is a time... Uh, to look at this outside of traditional market and economic factors. Uh, this is kind of a, like, uh, you know, this is, this is a, uh, this is, you know, safe, how, like, you know, oh, you know, time out. This is a time out. You know, if I, if I, if I reach the metal post over there, you can't tag me and I'm not it, you know, cause that's, that's where I'm safe, you know? And I, and I, I actually, um, it's kind of, uh, refreshing, uh, to hear that because uh, sometimes a lot of the time, and I'm, maybe it's because I'm, you know, surrounded by people in, in the financial venture capitalist world as well, because of you know my background as well within within private equity. But normally it's very much a vulture mentality. It's just like every man for himself. And if there's opportunity for 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 profit and you know and 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 to make something up on somebody else, everybody's scrambling towards making those dollars out of potentially someone else's misfortune. Or, and um, and and I just think in this scenario, you know, I think this is just sort of one social step too far. Well, listen, in all of history. Uh 
the way that you build great teams is everybody needs to recognize that win together. And there, there are hierarchies. And, and when everything's going right, then we need to understand that uh, the king eats first, but yet a great king never um, actually eats first, right? He has the right to eat first, but he never eats first. And so what you need is you team of people that have the mentality that says, that say, that say the owners of the business need to eat and they honor that and they respect it. But then you need business owners who say, I don't eat first, I eat last. And then that builds that, that virtuous cycle back and forth. And so when times are plenty, there's lots to go around, but the king gets the spoils, the most spoils. But when times are lean, the king has to unload the, um, the, the, the wheat um, silos and feed the people. Right? Does the king need to unload his seed? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah! <laughs> oh, I knew, I knew somebody. Your father is Ron. Now it wreck is Ron. Your father inspired me. And as I heard those words, leave your mouth right. He's loving you. This is my moment. <laughs> if, my dad, if my dad ever listens to this podcast, he's going to be like, who's the bald guy? I love yes. that. I mean, listen, you got to, the, the, the only way to maintain leadership is the balance of capitalist power and social dynamic in the midst of crisis. And that's where, listen, Bernie Sanders isn't wrong. Bernie Sanders is just wrong most of the time, right? <laughs> And and so the trouble is Donald Trump is wrong a lot, a lot, but on some major economic issues, he's probably more right than Bernie most of the time. So what you but what you really need is some sort of blended version where Democrats or Republicans come together and they say, listen, America is a place of independence, America is a place of freedom, America is a place of free market capitalism and animal spirits and let's go and no glass ceilings all upside no no safety nets go give us your best and brightest who all want to go for it that's america and then in times of crisis we need to go let's take care of each other but we don't take care of each other forever because we're not socialists that's not the beauty of america if you want socialism then you get to, then you go to europe but then the problem with that for Europe is that we get all their best and brightest, just like you living in Austin, because there's upside here. And upside is only possible with risk. Oh, yeah. And so that's the blend, is that we never want to be the country that doesn't allow people to walk without a tightrope, because those people get to be stars in the circus. But if, we, but if we're the people that don't come together in times of crisis, well, then we're just not human. No, and, and, that, and that's, that's, that's a, a, a fantastic message there. If we don't come together in a crisis, we're not human. And um, that is, that is the, that's the fundamental point. But then, okay, so my natural instinct is after, you know, we talk about this sort of stuff is, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is really, really powerful and valuable. You know, how, how, can, you, how can you make this the conscious, you know, make, make more people conscious of this factor? Because... I, I would. I don't think that. I don't think this is shared enough, and obviously, I don't think it's reflected in the political decisions that are that are actually being done anywhere in the world right now, for for that matter, not just the United States. Um, but I wonder if this is an opportunity for lessons to be learned, sadly, during this time that should maybe be reflected when the next pandemic happens, because there will be another one. Obviously, that's that's just a, that's just guaranteed. You don't know when, um, but uh, but yeah. I, that's a really, that's a really powerful statement. I want <clears throat> to touch base on one thing that both of you mentioned, and I will say, both of you, aside from this podcast, have referred to or ha have mentioned mentioned to me this whole concept about shared winning and teammate and taking care of good people, and that's something that like one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this conversation together that I re like personally respect the hell out of both of you is that you both win together, right? You guys obviously are the big risk takers, Aaron. You're you're uh, you're you know 
co-founder owner of job.com ryan you're owning like movie studios so you guys are doing some really really big things but the thing i love and respect so much about the two of you is the fact that you're willing to uh, bring people along with you you're willing to you know share that wealth share that growth share that excitement along too and i think that's something that i think is so powerful and i think like this message is one of the reasons why i wanted to bring this podcast together because so many people need to hear this stuff this this is like i think where some of the most magic happens about how do we go forward how do we deal with this round two round three round four and we know these pandemics are going to happen and so i think it's just a i think it's a special conversation from two pretty unique people I actually draw strength out of several of the team uh, members within my company. Um, you know, and uh, we can, you can call me boss, obviously, yeah, because I own the company. But that's 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 BS. We are colleagues and teammates. You know, uh, the, the hierarchy piece is actually irrelevant. Everybody just does their job. But I have three uh, key members. That, in that's my... got to be that's got to be like a post for job.com, right? Everybody yeah, does sh- their job, right? Yeah, you got you got to use it. <laughs> yeah. So, but we have three. We have three guys, Harvey Awadzi, Charlie Meek, and uh, Jack Howell, um, who, if you're listening, you can, uh, you can let your heads not get too big. But they've worked with me now uh, for the last nearly eight years, all of them. And, uh, and I just have always a deep sense of confidence that no matter what is going on, um, I know that even if everything's skimmed back to the barest of teams, they would always be by my side, always. So, and they're just fantastic guys. They're like, you know, close, close friends. Started off just as people working for me. And, um, and subsequently, you know, we've just been on such a roller coaster together, all of us within the business that, um, you know, I do anything for them and I know they do anything for me. So, um, and so I, I draw a lot of strength out of knowing, outside of my business partner, knowing that they're, they're part of the team. Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, obviously, while the while the pause happens, one of us uh, could bring up porn, but I think we should avoid uh, discussing that any you further. You look like the porn director with that shirt on, <laughs> with a shirt like this. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Definitely. I think uh, I think this is an awesome place. I just want to say, you know, thank you to the two of you for being on here. I guess I obviously any last thoughts, closing thoughts for both Aaron Ryan. Anything that you guys want to wrap this up with? I think this has been fantastic. I think it's pretty special both your leadership perspectives and just being willing to chat on this. And I, I respect the two of you like crazy. So any, any closing thoughts for both of you? Well, we're certainly going to get through this. And I think on the other side, um, you know, you're going to see all sorts of innovative change in the United States from a uh, where people work, how people work, what kind of businesses are thriving. Um, there will be washout and there will be a transformation, but the American economy is so resilient that um, it may take a little bit of time but in the end we'll be stronger absolutely and i think um you know as business owners uh, as business leaders and as individuals and for myself being in the employment market and my passion being helping people feed their families and pay their bills uh, i actually embrace this challenge that's in front of us because this is just asking me to do more of the same and do more uh, you know of, of the job that i was made to do uh, which is, you know, to put people into the best possible career opportunities and find opportunity for them. And I just want to take this note for both uh, Matt and Ryan. I just want to say that I've really enjoyed uh, wrecking my rod with you. And explicit. Wrap it up. Aaron, Ryan, thank you both so much for being a guest on this. This is awesome. Many more to come. Respect the hell out of both of the two of you. And this has yeah, uh, been fantastic. Pleasure. So thank you. I really enjoyed it, mate, as always. Have a great night, guys. Thanks so much, Ryan. It was lovely to meet you, mate. Good to meet you, too. Look forward to meeting you in person. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, mate.